my name is Lee, and I'm one of the pastors here. Very excited that you were here this morning uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. I love that we still have a, a good crowd. How many of you are rooting for the Patriots today? We got a, we got a couple. We got a couple. I, I am too. I am too, Tom. I, you got to appreciate greatness. I mean, that's just reality. How many of you are rooting for the Rams today? Anybody? I don't see. I don't. I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. My next question is, how many of you are rooting for the commercials and the food tonight? Yes, yes, that is, that is the most important thing that we're going to be talking about. All right, so tonight at the Super Bowl, there will be lots of things going on. People will be having conversations, which is a great time for us to focus on what we're going to talk about for the month of February. We've been in Hosea for the past few weeks. Everybody glad to move past the uh, being called a prostitute phase, Hosea? I mean, it's good, right? Like, it's in the Bible, but it's, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're moving on from that one. But what I want to talk about today, for the month of February, we are going to be focusing on our go commitment. These are our four commitments of our church, worship, connect, grow, and go. And the go commitment is about how we go and engage the world with the gospel. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the month of February, talking about different things locally, globally. And so today, what I'm going to kind of focus on is in your sphere of influence, in the things you are already doing in life currently, how can you have an impact for the gospel, right? Because we want to do these things because our, our mission as a church is that we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the good of our world. And so this, this, these four commitments, this is how we accomplish that. So that's what we're going to be about today. Now... As I was talking about earlier with the Super Bowl, if you're going to a Super Bowl party tonight, there's going to be some conversations you have. There might be some people that you haven't met before. Uh, And conversations, some people are good at conversational talk. Some people are bad at conversational talk. I am bad at conversational talk. I am. It's not my strong suit. I'm much more comfortable up here talking to all of you than having like dinner with three of you that I kind of know. This is much more comfortable for me. But one of the things I want to talk about with any conversation we have, in order to contribute to that conversation, you have to know what you're talking about. This past Tuesday, uh, our staff, myself, Pastor Matt, Darren, and Janice, went to Modesto, California. (laughs) Not a lot of people boohoo Modesto, but I... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but no, there's there's a clear difference. I have never been to Modesto before until Tuesday. Once you leave the Bay Area and then get to the Valley, there's a significant difference in what you see, right? Like you get on the overpass and you can see like five miles of flat land. It reminds me of the South, so it was kind of of comforting. So we're in in Modesto doing some training. um, And so when it comes to lunch, the church who was sponsoring this, they brought in a taco truck. They told us we could have as many tacos as we wanted. That's got nothing to do with this. It was just awesome to have unlimited tacos. and so we're sitting, we're sitting at lunch. Janice had to, go, had to leave early to get to her other job. And so myself and Matt and Darren are sitting at lunch. And uh, another gentleman there walks up to our table, and he starts talking, and he's got an accent. And so my first question, I, I, I love when people have accents. So I said, where are you from? And he said, Scotland. And so my first question was, are you a Rangers fan or a Celtic fan? Now, For a lot of you, if you don't have any idea what that means, those are the two biggest soccer clubs in Scotland. Everybody from Scotland is either a Rangers fan or a Celtic fan. 
and I love talking about soccer. So that's anytime I meet someone from Europe, I haven't been there yet, it's on my bucket list, but anytime I meet someone, there's a 99.9% chance if I bring up soccer, we'll automatically have a connection. And so the three of us at this table, and this guy comes up, and he and I are talking like just rapid-fire conversation about soccer. We started in Scotland, then we talk about soccer in England. Uh, Both of us uh, are big Manchester United fans. And so this goes on for about 10 minutes, and Matt and Darren are also at the table. (laughs) And they're just like, they're just staring at us because they have, one, they have no idea what we're talking about. And so they can't get involved in that conversation. And it was great because at the end of it, the guy says something to Matt about if he likes soccer. And Matt says, well, I know about that. I like the World Cup. So that was, right. that was his contribution to our soccer conversation was that Matt likes the World Cup. And Darren was still just like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. The great thing about that, though, was that in order to have a meaningful conversation with someone, you have to know what you're talking about. The same thing happens in our conversations about faith. It is impossible for us to share the gospel in a meaningful way if we don't know what we're talking about. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. What happens, where we are with this in Acts 17, Paul is on this missionary journey, and he and Silas and Timothy have been going around preaching the gospel. And there are people that don't like that, people that are in the establishment don't enjoy that, so they want Paul killed. So what happens is Silas and Timothy, they send Paul on to Athens for his protection because his life is in danger. So part of the original plan, the original plan was never to go to Athens. It was not to go to that part of Greece. But that's where they went. Out of God's sovereignty, Paul goes there, and he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 16. Uh, So open up your Bible, or if you have a, a Bible app that you like to use, that's great. If you don't have a Bible... If you look on the chair in front of you, there's a Bible at the bottom of the seat. Uh, If you're using one of those, we're on page 521. And so we're going to cover Acts 17, 16 through 34, but we're going to break it down into a couple of chunks and kind of talk about what it's saying and talk about how what Paul does here is a great example for us even 2,000 years later about how we can share the gospel. So we're going to start in 17, verses 16 through 21. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. One of the first things we see in verse 16, it talks about Paul is distressed by all the idols that he sees in the city. He's bothered by this for a couple of reasons. Number one, all the, they had these statues and they had these temples of the gods like Zeus, Apollo, Hermes, Athena. These were all the gods in the Greek world that they kind of pay tribute to. So the first thing that bothers Paul is that other people are getting credit for what God has done. 
right? So they're giving, they're giving praise and honor to these gods who haven't done anything, and Paul's bothered by that because he knows that God deserves the credit and the glory for that. The second thing is that Paul is burdened by his love of people. He wants to see people honor God because that glorifies God and that transforms people's lives. So that's what Paul wants to see. We sometimes see that as Christians, there's, there's sometimes this attitude that's like, well, I, I know about God, and if you've got a problem with God, then I'd, you know, I'm, just gonna, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you about that. Just whatever you get, you deserve. And so we kinda, people kind of just walk away, right? Because we see people who are actively against God, and sometimes the attitude is we're just going to, you know, we're not going to say anything, and you're going to get what's coming to you. That is nowhere in Scripture. There's nowhere that Paul does that here. Paul has his love for people, and what Paul recognizes, because God's glory is the ultimate thing that Paul's looking at, our love for God's glory should equal a love for people. Because if we are loving people in order to draw them to God, then they are glorifying God through that. So in order to love people in a way that draws them to God, God receives glory. So if we truly have this love for people, we we can't be silent about this. There's no way that this is something that we just don't talk about. And in verse 17, it says, Paul reasoned with them. I love that. I love that. One of the biggest reasons is because uh, the way my mind works, my mind's very logical. I'm not a very emotional type person, as, uh, as our staff can, can tell you. But I love for things to make sense, right? In school, math was my jam, right? Because math makes sense. I hated taking reading because... It was always based on loose interpretation and how emotional you were feeling. and I, that, was not my, that was not my thing. So I love this because sometimes as Christians, we're accused of just being mindless sheep, of just kind of following whatever we're told. And what they're saying, what the scripture is saying here is that Paul reasoned, meaning he, intellectually he was talking to them about why faith in Jesus, it makes sense, right? It wasn't just, hey, we're hoping this is going to be the right thing, but that it, it logically makes sense why would we place our faith in Jesus? Again, the key to Paul being able to reason with them is because he knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was talking about. He had a knowledge of what God has done. He had a knowledge of the resurrected Jesus and how that had changed everything. So Paul was able to talk about that. It's amazing how many more opportunities we get when we know what we're talking about. Right? If we don't know anything about Scripture, if we don't know much about God other than, hey, we go to church on Sunday, why is God going to bring people into our lives? What are we going to tell them? Because we don't have anything to share. You cannot share what you don't know. And that's important for us to understand that. One of the biggest ways we do that is by getting in God's Word on a daily basis. You have to be able to know what you're talking about in order for those things to happen. Another part in verse 17, Paul talks about going to the marketplace day by day. This wasn't just a Paul just came in like guns blazing like, hey, you need to love Jesus. Jesus loves you. Peace. I'm out of here. It was day by day. One of the questions we need to look at, what is your marketplace? Where are conversations already taking happen, are already happening? Where are they already taking place? Is, is it at the soccer field, right? Is it at work? Is it whatever your, your hobby is? that you do when you're not at work, when you're not at home, other people that you're seeing on a frequent basis. How, is that converse, how are those conversations happening? Because we're not, when we talk about this, when Paul goes to this, this isn't the idea of, of 
you taking a microphone and going on a street corner and, and yelling at people, right? First of all, I, I don't know that I haven't seen that work. I'm not saying it doesn't because God can do all things, right? I've never seen that work. But I have seen a lot of times, and I know how my own life was impacted by people who were there day by day. Because you can build trust. You can build relationships with people on a daily basis. So it's important for us to see that our marketplace, whatever we're most actively involved in, this isn't something that we have to take out of the things that we normally do. It's where in your normal daily life are there opportunities for you to share the gospel? Because we, we all have them. We all have those opportunities. But I love that consistency. And it reminds me very much about this Compassion International sponsorship that we're doing. By giving to these kids, supporting these kids starting next week, every week these kids will be hearing about the gospel of Jesus. It's not just a one-time donation and, and, and that's it and you never know what happens. As my wife said earlier, we, we uh, started sponsoring Kevin when he was three. That meant he was able to go to the Child Development Center in Uganda, which meant that since he was three until the time he finishes high school at 18, he will be hearing the gospel presented every single week just because of something that we're able to do from all the way over here. So I do encourage you in that, I, to make a difference. That's, that is a, a big thing. <coughs> so going back to where are the conversations taking place? I know one of the things for me, before I was a, a pastor, I was a school teacher. Uh, and so and one year I was a teacher in downtown San Francisco. And so as you can imagine, it was, it was difficult to have conversations about faith, especially at school. And so I began to think, okay, you know, this is probably not going to work at the job. What's a way that I can do? How can I go where people already are that I work with and, and get to know them better? And so if you ever worked in education, you know that every school has a happy hour. Every school, if you don't, go ask a teacher. There's a happy hour. And so I said, you know what? This is a spot where people are going. This is a spot where people are having conversations. This is a spot where people are being open. So they asked me, and then I said, yes. I started going to those happy hours with everybody, and it allowed me to, have, to build a relationship, to have conversation, and to understand the things that people were drawn to. What were the things that people treasure the most? Because until you get on their turf, you're, ne you're never going to know that. You're never going to know that. And so we talk about how, back in the passage where Paul talks about the Epicureans and the Stoics coming towards him. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. They asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Uh, just to give you a little lesson about the, the Epicureans and the Stoics, they were these philosophies of how to deal with life, right? Every single one of us is trying to figure out how, how to process life. The good things, the bad things, everything that's happening, we want some type of rhyme and reason to it. And so for the Epicureans, their idea, they believed in gods, but they believed that gods had no impact on daily life. They were so far removed from earth that it was, they were really of no concern. And the Stoics believed that literally like everything was God, right? The universe was God, so all gods were part of that. So they were open to worshiping anything. And so Paul is going to show, we're going to see here how Paul connects them with things they're already showing that they value, things they're already being concerned with, the conversations they're already having. And so they refer to Paul as a babbler. In verse 18, it says, what is this babbler trying to say? When we first hear that, we think of somebody who just kind of stumbles over their words, kind of doesn't make sense. The Greek for this means 
that it's a person who picks up bits and pieces of information and then passes themselves off as an expert. Now, if you have never seen this happen or you don't know this type of person, go to a baseball game. <laughs> baseball baseball is, my, is my biggest sports love. Uh, you get rid of all other sports in the world. As long as you keep baseball, I'm happy. But I feel every time I go to a game, a Giants game, A's game, anything else, there's always somebody around me, and they're very loud, and they're spouting off little bits and pieces of information that they picked up from watching ESPN that morning. <laughs> and because I know about baseball, I know that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Like, I'm, I'm able to recognize that. So that person is a babbler, right? That's somebody that I would see like, you don't know what you're talking about. Because I know this, I, I can see where we're going wrong. And the same thing, this is what they're accusing Paul of. That Paul's somebody who's saying things, but that he really doesn't know what he's talking about, that he's advocating these foreign gods. The biggest thing, when Paul began to talk about Jesus in the resurrection, the Greeks did not believe that that was possible. They did not believe that a body could be resurrected, so a lot of them just kind of did not want to follow with what Paul was saying. That's why they were accusing him of being a babbler. That's why they were talking about his advocating foreign gods. But Paul responds to this. Let's look in verse 22, 22 through 28. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul begins by setting up a connection point. And please take note of the way Paul speaks to people. He says, hey, I see that you're very religious. Paul knows that they're not worshiping the true God. Paul does not call them names. He does not treat them like they're idiots. He does not attack them in any kind of way. He is gracious and he is gentle in his approach even though what he's going to be saying is somewhat confrontational because he's calling out that they're not doing the right thing. They're not worshiping the true God, but he does it in a gracious manner. Too many times I have seen Christians that aggressively go after someone else's beliefs and disparage them and basically treat them as though they're morons. Again, never seen that work. I've never seen somebody say, oh, you think my beliefs are stupid and I'm an idiot? Yes, let me, let me follow the Jesus you follow. Like, that, do, that doesn't happen. No one is drawn to that. When we are gracious and still presenting the truth, people are drawn to that. Paul does this so beautifully. And one of the things we need to understand is that for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, it's not because we were the smartest or because we were the most clever. It's simply because of God's grace and what he has done. We get no credit for our salvation because we didn't do anything. So the fact that we would not approach other people with grace does not make any sense. 
It does not make any sense. And Paul is showing that here. He does not speak down to people. He does not belittle their beliefs, but he does correct their beliefs. He starts with something they already know and shows how it applies to Christ. So that's something for us. When we're sharing our faith, that's something we need to be gracious about because it is only by God's grace that we have that faith to begin with. And then in verse 23, it talks about the reference to an unknown God. Paul's talking about he sees there's an altar, the reference to the unknown God. The Athenians, in their, in their worship of gods, were so afraid that they would leave out a God that they didn't know about that they created this altar. So that way, all their bases are covered. So they, right, they have this. So there's this unknown God. So you can't say, you know, if there's a God there that we don't know about, you can't say we didn't worship you because we put this altar there. And so what Paul's doing is connecting with that, right? That's a connection point that Paul is finding, but he's not leaving them there. He's able to connect them with that, but he's able to show them the real truth behind that is God, the one true God. They built temples for all of these gods that they worshiped. They built statues. Um, they would present offerings, all these sacrifices, in order to get the response they desired. But what Paul is letting them know, listen, all these temples, this, this doesn't work for the true God. If he is the creator and sustainer of everything in life, then he doesn't need anything from us. There's nothing that we can give God. He, are, he has it all, right? God is the one who gives. That's the biggest difference between the gods they worshiped and the God, the creator of the universe. Because for the gods they worship, you had to sacrifice something to them to get their blessing or for them to do something for you. But the creator of the universe, that God, he has sacrificed for us. That's the biggest difference. And that's the message that Paul is trying to send, that God is the creator. He's the one who serves us. And so the main focus on this, for these Paul's words here, is to show God's sovereignty, right? That God is the creator, God is the sustainer. We have a need for him. It even talks about how the lines were drawn about all the boundaries and where people lived. God has set that up, right? You being where you are in 2019, this is no accident. God is not unaware that you would end up here on February 3rd, 2019, it's not, it's not an accident. And, and I say this speaking as someone who grew up in Monroe, Louisiana, over 2,000 miles away, and on February 3rd, 2019, I'm somehow preaching at a church in Benicia, California. Uh, yeah, good luck with me explaining that, <laughs> right? I, I have no idea how that happened, but this is where we are because God did know that. God had us each for this time. The people that are in your sphere of influence... The, the families on your street, the people at your work, the families that your kids play ball with, they are not in your circle on accident. They are not in your circle on accident. We need to understand that. There needs to be intentional living and conversations for the people that are in our marketplace, the people that we see, the people that we talk to. How are we getting those conversations? How are we getting involved in those things? And so Paul's trying to show them the true way of honoring God. And he does this beautifully in verse 28. Because what Paul does is he quotes their poets. He quotes their poets. So people that they would know, people that they have heard of, people that they kind of look to, Paul's quoting them. In verse 28, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The poets of these philosophies who wrote this 
were talking about Zeus because they believed that Zeus was the one who gave life. And Paul's saying, no, no, these words are true, but they don't apply to Zeus. They apply to God, the creator of the universe. That's who they apply to. So Paul's taking something that they already know, that they're already familiar with, and he's connecting it there, but then he's saying, no, I see where you are, but let me show you how that is fulfilled in Christ. There are so many opportunities for us to do that. The people around you, the people in your marketplace, what do they value? What do they treasure? Because the majority of them, it's not bad things. The problem is they're made ultimate things, right? The people who, you know, I, I want my kid to be a professional athlete. I want my kid to get into the best schools. You know, I, I want to have romantic love in my life. I want to have lots of friendships. I want more money. I want to advance in my career. All of those things in and of themselves are not bad. But what happens is for those people who are not following Christ, one of those things is their ultimate thing that they're looking to to give them satisfaction and purpose in life. So a key that Paul uses here that we can see is through conversation, figure out what that is. What is the thing that they are looking to the most? Connect with them on that and then show them how that is only fulfilled in Jesus. Because listen, our money's going to let us down. Our spouses are going to let us down. Our kids are going to let us down. We're going to let people down. That's the reality. That's the reality. We put these unnecessary expectations and weight on other people's shoulders that they were never meant to carry. And Paul is taking that and saying, no, this all applies to God. How can we do that in your marketplace where you are day by day? How can you do that? What Paul does is he talks to them about God as the creator and the sustainer of life the creator and sustainer, if that's the case, if God has created us and he sustains us, that shows that we have a need for him. That's the first step towards salvation is recognizing that you have a need. With, without that, nothing happens. The same thing here. We have to understand what Paul is trying to get them to. So let's look in verses 29, 29 through 34. And this is where Paul's speech kind of comes to a head with where he's getting to with this. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Paul's speech here is reaching a climax because he is now calling them to repentance. He's made them aware that who they're worshiping is not the true God. He proclaims the true God to them, and now he's calling them to repentance. And what that means is to turn away from what they're doing and turn towards God. All these things that are happening in their lives, all the things in 2019 that people look to as idols, things we talked about, family, work, money, status. Again, those things in themselves are not bad, but if we are looking to them to fulfill our everything, 
that's a problem. So our goal in this is to lead people to repentance because knowledge without repentance does nothing. You, you can answer every question that somebody can ask you about the Bible, but if it has not led to repentance and a transformed life, then you don't really have anything to answer them with. It's got to lead to something. It's not knowledge just for the sake of knowledge. Another thing Paul does here is he reminds them that their ignorance is no longer an excuse. At this point, when Paul's talking, Jesus' death and the resurrection have happened. It talks about how God left some of the things unpunished beforehand, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So what that means, if 2,000 years ago, ignorance was no longer an excuse, then that definitely applies to us today. We have no reason, right? You, you make a conscious choice. Do I follow Jesus? Do I turn towards him and follow him? Or do I do my own thing? That doesn't work. And so after they talk about the resurrection, there's a, a mixed reaction to Paul bringing this up. Some people sneered. Some people said, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Talk to me again. And some people followed him. I love that this is in here because it, when Luke is the author of Acts and when he writes this, this last part, even though there's these three groups mentioned here at the end, only a third of them, right, a third of the people followed Jesus. They believed Paul and followed. So if that means you fail two out of three times, we think that's pretty bad. But this is not presented as failure. Because what we understand here is that Paul, nor you nor I, are capable of changing someone's heart. I can't change someone's heart. You can't change someone's heart. I remember when I first became a Christian when I was 19, and I knew that I should be talking to people about Jesus because of the impact that it had on my life, but here was my thinking. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I say the wrong thing, somebody chooses not to believe in Jesus because of what I've said, and they spend eternity in hell. I, I, can't, I can't deal with that. So I'm just not going to say anything. And that was the approach I took for a, for a while. And then luckily through continued reading of Scripture, God opened my eyes like, I don't have that kind of power to control somebody's heart. I'm not capable of that. I'm not called to answer someone, to give someone else's response for them. I'm called to share the gospel and people have to respond to God. And that is not impacted by me. It's impacted by what God has done for their lives. And if they see that and if they turn to him. One of the things we need to understand, not everyone that you share the gospel with is going to begin to follow Jesus. In fact, the majority of them won't. I mean, listen, if, if Paul, right, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament and less than half the people are coming to Jesus after Paul talks to them. Statistically, if you talk to a lot of people about Jesus, less than half of them are ever going to turn to Christ. That does not mean you've done the wrong thing. That is between them and God. You can't control that. Listen, I, I, I wish we could control people's hearts. You know, that's, that's my thing. When I, when I pray for my kids, I don't pray, hey, I hope they make the right choice. Right? My, my prayer is, God, please, whatever you've got to do to turn their hearts to you, make that happen. I don't want to leave it up to my kids. I want God to get involved in their lives because I can't change their heart. Only God can. And that's the same thing for all of us. In our marketplaces, we can't change people's hearts. But we do want those opportunities. But going back to the, to the beginning, if you don't know anything about your faith, you can't share it with anybody. 
It doesn't work that way. Speaking again about the people responding, um, I worked at a summer camp in Nashville uh, a few years ago, a few years ago, well, like 15 years ago. But, <laughs> you know, and as you get older, everything just kind of runs together. Um, yeah, I think it was like 2001 or 2002, so closer to 20 years ago, I worked at a summer <laughs> camp in, in Nashville. Um, and so what happened was youth groups from around the country would come in, and those of us that were counselors we each had kind of like our area we were over. And so mine was, uh, mine was sports and recreation. So what happened was I would take about uh, 15 to 20 high school students. We would go to the couple of places in Nashville, and we would play games, play sports, and minister to people. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we went to this apartment complex uh, with refugees from Iran that were escaping the things happening there. We played soccer with them during the week, talked to the kids, shared our faith. And on Tuesday and Thursday, there was a halfway house we went to. It was for high school kids who had committed crimes. They were released from prison but had to spend time in this halfway house before they could go back home. And so every Tuesday and Thursday, we would go. And the biggest connection there was that we would play basketball every Tuesday and Thursday. And so there was this, uh, one of the, the kids there, his name was Rico, and he was from Iraq, and his family was, again, part of um, what had fled from all the things that have happened over there. And he was Muslim, and he made that clear from the beginning. And so for the whole summer, every Tuesday and Thursday for the whole summer, he and I are playing basketball, we're talking to each other, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm sharing my faith like as we're going. And he's also sharing his faith with me. And so as we go through this time, I just know, like in my heart, like I'm, I'm praying for this kid every day, and I just know for sure that before I leave for the summer that this kid's going to become a Christian. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And the summer went by, and nothing happened. And those things are hard, because we, know, we all know people that we love that we would give anything for them to follow Jesus. Anything. But we can't guarantee that. And we need to understand that we definitely, nothing happens if we don't talk. If we don't share our faith with the people in our marketplace, lives are not going to be transformed if we don't introduce people to Jesus. One of the, one of the popular quotes that people love to use from St. Francis is, um, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. I, I don't think that's biblical. We need to use words. We do need to be living in such a way that our lives preach that. But listen, just doing good things and not talking about Jesus, there are literally millions of people in the world who want nothing to do with Jesus but are still doing good things in their community. There has to be a call to Jesus in that. And so kind of a couple of tips, or I guess practical things I want to give you if you're looking for ways to share your faith. The first place, start in your home. Start in your home. Are you having conversations with your spouse about Jesus? Even if you're both Christians, you're called to encourage each other. Are you having conversations with your children about faith? Because one of the biggest problems we have is when we talk about evangelism, we treat it as this big event, right? As though, oh, I've got to go do something totally different than what I do on a normal daily basis, and I've got to get worked up for it. But what we're seeing here is that's something that happens in everyday life. If you talk about Jesus in your home, guess what? 
you're going to be comfortable talking about Jesus outside of your home. The problem is, for a lot of families, the only time Jesus is talked about is on Sunday. So if that happens in your home, if you have kids in your home, what's going to happen is the only time your kids are going to talk about Jesus is on Sunday. Now, we have no problem talking about our TV shows that we love, the sports teams we're pulling for, uh, how much money we're making, what's happening at our job, the new clothes we have, the new car we got. We talk about those all the time. You know what? Because we talk about those during the week. We talk about our favorite TV shows during the week. We talk about our favorite sports team during the week. So when you leave your house, it's not a big deal to talk about those things again. But if you don't talk about Jesus during the week, why would you expect that you're going to start doing that outside of your home? That's not going to happen. We put these expectations on our children, even those of us that have older children. Well, we went to church every Sunday, so surely my kids are going to be able to talk about Jesus. It does not work that way. The things you talk about at home are the things that will be talked about outside of the home. That's always going to be the case. So it's four, four points I kind of want to leave you with here. The first one being, you can't share what you don't know. It's not possible, right? The, the soccer conversation I was having with a guy from Scotland, he and Darren aren't going to have a conversation about soccer, right? That's, yeah, see, even Darren will tell you. If we don't know about Jesus, we're not going to have a conversation with somebody about what he has done for our lives. And for some of us in here, you don't know, not because you haven't read your Bible, but, but because you haven't given your life to Christ, because you haven't given yourself to Jesus, understood your need for him, that you need to be rescued, and that only he can do that because of his work on the cross. If, if you are in that boat, uh, Pastor Matt and I would love to speak to you after the church just to kind of walk through with you what that looks like to have Jesus as your king, to turn away from the things that are taking you away in this life and turn towards Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about that. For those of you that have made that decision already, again, you can't share what you don't know. Be in God's word on a regular basis. I cannot stress that enough. More than anything else you will ever do, being in God's word on a regular basis will have the biggest impact on your life. If you're having trouble coming up with some type of Bible plan, um, there's a Bible app called the YouVersion app, and it has like thousands and thousands of Bible plans that can range anywhere from seven days to a full year. Find something like that. You can get in like a group of people, grab some friends, spend time reading God's Word together, hold each other accountable. Nothing will happen apart from that. Nothing will happen apart from that. Number two is think about where are conversations already taking place? Where is your marketplace? <coughs> right? Is, is it the sports field? Is it work, right? Is it whatever you do for a hobby? I know one of the things that's been kind of tricky for me, being a pastor now, I, I'm, on a daily basis, I'm not surrounded by non-Christians. So when I, was, when I was a school teacher and other jobs I worked in the past, like, you know, my, my work was my mission field. That's who I spoke to. And, and there were always people there to be able to speak to. So now it's like, for me, okay, things look different. One, one, my role as a pastor, my name Matt's role as pastors, is to help equip you guys to be able to do the things that are going to help throughout your time. And so for me, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities. And the one that has been the most, I guess, uh, I've had the most opportunity since I've moved to Benicia is, is playing golf. There's a couple of guys in the church that I like to play golf with. And so that is 
my best opportunity where we're already having conversations with other people that come and play with us, people that I don't know. And opportunities always arise where people ask, you know, what do you do for a living? You know, where are you from? For me, that's where I'm at, right? Like, that's the most conversation I'm having right now because of where I am in life. What conversations are you already having are already there for you to be able to take that and show people how it connects to Jesus? And we need to understand, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a theology degree to share your faith. Do you know the basics of what Christianity is? Do you know that God created us? He's a creator of life. We have sinned. We fall short of that. We need to be rescued. God sent Jesus to live the perfect life, down the cross and be raised from the dead. We repent, turn from ourselves, and turn towards God. Like that's, that's the basics. That's what Paul said here. He's not going into deep theological discussion with the Athenians. He's saying, listen, God created life. He keeps it going. We are responsible to him. So where are those conversations taking place? Number three, know what idols people are drawn to. And by that, I mean, what do they value the most, right? What's the, num- what's the number one thing? People you're already having conversations with, what's the number one thing in their life? Is it how their kids turn out? Is it that they make the most money? Is it that they have the newest things? Is it that they have uh, somebody that they love romantically? What is the greatest thing? Because underneath all of that is a longing that every human heart has that can only be filled by Jesus, So you need to understand what that is and then to be able to connect with them in that way and show them how that's only fulfilled in Christ. And number four is that repentance is necessary. We can have all the knowledge, but without turning to God, it it doesn't do anything for us. So that's what we want to focus on for this time. Think about your marketplace. Think about who you're already connecting with. How can you be involved in those conversations? We're going to have a time of communion now. And what we do for communion is that we are just remembering the work of Jesus on the cross. The bread represents his body, and the juice represents his blood that was spilled out that was necessary for our salvation. Uh, Here at FBC, we practice an open table, meaning if you are a visitor uh, and you are a believer, please feel free to come up and take part of the elements. Um, The elements are gluten-free. If you are not a believer, just take some time to sit and kind kind of observe and think about what we've talked about today and how Christ is the fulfillment of the things that you're looking for. Um, I'm going to pray, and then when the music starts, just feel free to come up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the ways that you love us. God, I thank you for the people that you have put in our path or the people that you have put in our marketplace. God, help us to continue to have those conversations. Lord, help us to continue to draw close to you, God, and to show the people in our lives, Lord, the thing that they are longing for most is only fulfilled by you. God, help us to be obedient. Help us to be drawn to you by wanting others to glorify you as well, God, and to know for those of us that are believers, if you have transformed our life and we love that so much, how could we not share that with someone else? And we thank you for who you are. In your son's name I pray, amen.